evening. Can you hear me? Am I on? Yes, good. Are you enjoying summer? Yes, everyone got into the summer vibe? Notice some of you wearing shorts. Uh, Tim and I and the family, we've been away for last week. We went uh, down to France, part of France, southern part of France with some of the family, which was always great to be together, uh, even though it was just a, a week. And it, it was especially good given that we've had a bit of an ongoing uh, nightmare for the previous couple of months leading up to our holiday, which... Um, uh, yeah, has been a little bit testing in a, in a, in a few ways. Uh, many of you know uh, we live in a vicarage. Uh, Tim is, is, is ordained. We live in a vicarage and uh, we own a small ex-student house that uh, we have let out for a number of years. And uh, a couple of months ago, Tim decided just to pop round and visit the, the lovely tenants that we have in the, or had in the house. And he was rather taken aback as he let himself in. He had given them uh, notice of his visit to discover that they had turned uh, the house into a full-blown cannabis factory. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you have seen what a full-blown cannabis factory looks like. It's pretty impressive. Uh, they have they drilled, well, not drilled, so I don't know, carved. I don't know what the technical word is. Cut out holes, you know, half meter wide holes in the walls upstairs to put these huge great pipes through, holes in the ceiling, holes in the loft, uh, the works. And the police were impressed too. They hadn't seen such high tech uh, cannabis equipment uh, up to this point in time. And it was a new experience for us, as you might imagine. Uh, and so it's been a bit of a long journey and a bit of a costly journey, to say the least, uh, to get the house back to how it was. But God has been gracious and he's provided in terms of great friends and in terms of, of provision financially. Uh, but I would just like to say that the Groove family are putting in their bid for the prize of taking our summer theme of going greener to new level. <laughs> we reckon we're in for, you know, serious commitment recognition. So if you're visiting, we are coming to the end of next week, I think it is, our series that we've been, we've been doing, looking at encounters that different uh, individuals had with Jesus in the Gospels. And... Um looking at them particularly with a view to how, asking the question, you know, or looking at the stories, how can we be better equipped for the encounters that we have with the people in our lives that don't know him that uh, God brings around us? And um, tonight's passage uh, probably needs to come, maybe for some of us, with a bit of a health warning. It's um, a snapshot uh, from an encounter that Jesus has at the end of his life with uh, some of the religious leaders. <clears throat> and uh, it's not quite as uplifting as some of the other encounters that we've looked at. So if you've got a Bible or you've got a, a phone or a, a tablet of some sort, switch it on or get a Bible out. Uh, and you'll find tonight's uh, little episode in Luke chapter 22. And it's five verses from uh, verse 66 to 71, it should come up on the screens. David, please can you get me a bit of water? Thank you. It's hot. So, when it was morning, the religious leaders of the people and the high priests and scholars, they all got together and they brought him, Jesus, before their high council. And they said to him, are you the Messiah? He answered, if I said yes, you wouldn't believe me. If I asked you what you meant by your question, you wouldn't answer me. So here's what I have to say. From here on, the Son of Man takes his place at God's right hand, the place of power. They all said, so you admit your claim to be the Son of God. You're the ones who keep saying it, 
he said. But they'd made up their minds. Why do we need any more evidence, they said. We've heard, and we, we've heard him, sorry, we've all heard him as good as say it himself. And then for those of you that know what happened get, uh, next, he gets moved on to stand in front of Pilate and is judged by Pilate and sent to the cross. Now I'm going to be honest, and when I looked at the preaching schedule and I first looked at this passage, I'm thinking, right. <laughs> I'm thinking we're in, the sto- we're in a season of encounters with Jesus. I'm not sure I like these verses. That was my first thought. And my second thought was, how are they relevant to the kind of encounters that we might have with people around us in our everyday lives who don't know Jesus. This isn't, you know, certainly in my experience, this isn't kind of, it doesn't bear much resemblance to one of my, you know, everyday encounters. And, uh, you know, Jesus is on trial here for being Jesus. It's not kind of the sort of scenario that we're likely to find ourselves in anytime soon. He's facing his arch enemies, How does this help me as a follower of his when I think about how I might share the gospel or share the love of God with the person in my office or the person at school or the person at the school gate or the person at the checkout at Tesco's or the person on social media or whatever? How does this help me when I'm thinking about sharing something of his good news? How is this relevant to our series of Going Greener? And of course, I prayed about it because that's what, you know, good preachers do. And... uh, Because, you know, principle, God has something to say to us. Jesus has something to say to us through every encounter that we read in the Bible. And I, and I sense that what God wanted us to look at this evening was something possibly that we don't look at or don't talk about very often in the Western church. So if you're somebody who likes titles for talks, I've called this talk, Are You Ready for Trouble? Are you ready for trouble? I love so many things about Jesus, but one of the things I love about him is the fact that Jesus always tells the truth. Jesus always tells us the truth. A number of years ago, I was uh, in a supermarket car park, and uh, it was probably quite late on in the evening because there weren't that many cars and there weren't that many people in the car park. And as I reversed my car out of the space, I heard a little noise. And my car touched the car next to me. And uh, it touched the car next to me in more than just a really gentle way. <laughs> so I got out of my car, and uh, there was nobody around, and I had to look at the car, car you know, that my car had touched. My car, praise the Lord, wasn't remotely damaged at all. But the car that I'd, you know, touched had a scrape on it, quite a nasty scrape. And in that moment, I had a bit of a decision to make. It's kind of like, well, Lord, there's nobody around. Nobody's seen this happen. Nobody knows about this except me and you. So if I got in my car now and drove off, nobody would be any the wiser. Or I could fess up to it. And, you know, I had a bit of a tussle, and I have to say, in the end, I chose to drive off. No, I didn't. I actually got, <laughs> I got a piece of paper out, and uh, I wrote uh, my name and my number on the piece of paper and stuck it on their windscreen in case they wanted to ca- contact me. Actually, they didn't end up doing that. But there was a cost in that scenario to me of telling this truth, a very small one. In some scenarios, this one is the most extreme. This story that we see here, the cost of telling the truth is huge. And on many occasions, Jesus told the truth in a way that cost him. As I said, here it cost him his life. 
But he always tells the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it is for those who are listening to him, no matter how uncomfortable it is for him, and no matter what the cost for him, because he knows that the truth is what always leads us into freedom. And sometimes Jesus speaks the truth at his expense that might cost him followers because he wants us to know where we stand. He is willing to tell us stuff that might actually put us off from following him because he's so committed to the truth. Jesus doesn't just do small talk. Do you know that? He doesn't do smooth talking either. If you notice that, he never says things just to get a response that would benefit him. He's so committed to honesty. And what he says to us, one of his least popular promises, is that in this world we will have trouble. Anybody got that on their fridge? Anybody committed to learning that to help them, you know, grow in confidence in life? Jesus says, in this world we will have trouble. Who's excited about that? I mean, nobody's ever excited about it, are they? And trouble comes in all shapes and sizes. And many of us, maybe all of us, if we did a kind of turn-to-your-neighbor thing and we shared what kind of trouble have you known in your life, we would all have something to share. Trouble comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes, big and small. And some of us in here this evening, some of you, you are facing trouble in your life at the moment. You are struggling with financial stuff or relationship stuff or health stuff, health issues or uh, work issues, whatever. Jesus promises that in this world we will have trouble. But here's the thing. He also says that he will be the cause of some of our trouble. He also says that he will be the cause of some of that trouble, which is what I'm talking about tonight. So here he is. He's standing in front of the religious authorities. He's standing in front of the religious leaders. And it's his very presence... It's his identity as the son of God. It's his identity as the son of man that's causing the problem, that's causing the trouble for these religious people. So the religious leaders, they're not just having a bad day. They're not just hearing Jesus say a few things that they don't like. They're not just kind of disagreeing over some theological issues. They're not just a bit you know, annoyed because he's healed somebody on the wrong day of the week because he got his miracles on the wrong day. They're not upset because he's kind of being kind to the wrong kind of person that they didn't like. They're not upset because he's been telling them some stories about hell and what happens after we die, and because he's been talking about money. And they're not upset because he, he's challenged them at various times about some of their behavior. They are upset about some of those things. They're not really happy about it, but that's not why they're upset. The biggest problem that these guys have in this moment is who he is claiming to be, who he is saying he is. He is saying, and he has been declaring, I'm the Messiah. And to them, they knew that that meant he was saying, I am king. I am Lord. So what's really troubling these people, these religious leaders, is not his ministry, but his message. It's not his ministry that they're naffed off about. It's his message. And his message, as we know, was God loves you. His message was, I love you. It was the same message to these religious leaders as it had been to everybody else. All those people that we've been looking at over these weeks, it's the same message. God loves you. I love you. But there's another part to that message. And the other part of that message is, but you've got a disease. 
Whoever you are, you've got a disease, and your disease is sinfulness. Your disease is selfishness. And your disease is going to kill you, and it's going to end in death. And there's only one cure for this disease, and that cure is me. And you need me to save you. You need me to have life. And you need, to have, you need me in order to have life beyond the grave. Only I can save you. It was the message that they had a problem with. It was the message that was causing Jesus trouble. The message that he was claiming to be the, the Messiah. So look at the passage. Who are you? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? That's what it all hinges around, this, this little episode. And his reply gives their kind of motives away. You don't want the real answer, he says. If I said yes, you wouldn't believe me. Look at verse 67, verse 68. If I said yes, you wouldn't believe me. If I asked you what you meant by your question, you wouldn't answer me. I mean, there's probably some really good advice for us there in that. You know, if we don't want Jesus to answer our questions, let's not ask him questions. If we're not interested in what he's going he's to say to us, let's not ask him the question. But these guys, they've built a box for Jesus and they are trying to keep him in it. They've built a box for who they think he is and they want him to stay in it. But no one can keep God in the box. No one can keep God in any box. These people, the religious leaders, they didn't get the memo. And Jesus was continually trying to break out of their box. So they decided they needed to do away with him. So they thought, well, the box isn't going to keep him, so let's put him in a tomb. And they killed him the next day. They didn't get the tomb that you can't keep. Uh, they didn't get the memo that you can't keep God in tombs either. But that's what they were trying to do. So what's all this got to do with us? What's all this got to do with us? Because I'm not claiming to be the Messiah, and you're not claiming to be this Messiah. Here's the thing. If the message of who Jesus is, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who offers us life, the one who offers us hope, the one who offers us a future, the one who offers us life, life beyond the grave, the, the one who the world needs, the one who says he is king. If that message cause trouble for Jesus, that message has the potential to cause trouble for us. If it caused trouble for him, it may well caused, cause trouble for us. We've been thinking this term about sharing the message of the good news of Jesus with the people that God puts around us. What this particular story is telling us is that there are times when that message is going to cause us trouble. Are we ready for it? You know, that I believe is God's question for us this evening. Are we ready for it? Here's a few verses. Health warning on these verses too, but this is the passage for this evening. Here are a few verses. John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus says this. This was before the episode we're looking at this evening. If the world hates you, bear in mind that it hated me first. Who likes that one? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. John 15, 20. Remember when, what I told you. A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Any fans of that one? Maybe we'll take a vote on the best verse at the end of them. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's that word again, persecuted. Matthew 10, verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. 
but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Last one, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. In fact, everyone that wants to live a godly life, hands up if you want to live a godly life. I know many of us in this place want to give a, live a godly life. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, they're kind of not Michael McIntyre kind of feel-good one-liners, are they? You know, they don't leave us with a kind of good feeling in the belly or a smile on the lips. But do you know what? Jesus isn't an entertainer. Jesus wasn't an entertainer. Jesus isn't a cuddly teddy bear. He's a revolutionary. Jesus is a revolutionary. He came to lead a revolution. Yes, a revolution of love, not the kind of revolutions that are fueled and born out of anger and hatred that so many, if not all of the world's revolutions have been. He, but he did come to lead a revolution. He came to turn the world upside down. And he said these things, and these are words, these are promises of a revolutionary. His message caused trouble for him. We should be ready for it to cause trouble for us. And if you're in any doubt, take a look at this BBC headline that was uh, reported on the 3rd of May. That's two months ago. Okay, BBC News headline, Christian persecution at near genocide levels. It's the uh, headline that's a result of a, a kind of report that's been commissioned by the Foreign Secretary that is going to be reported on more fully, uh, apparently, this summer. 21st century. This is the world in the 21st century, and that's the BBC News, saying that the Christians are the re religious group of, uh, across the world that are, the, that are most persecuted. We are the most persecuted bunch of people across the world. Friends, this is not because, I mean, obviously the persecution that happens is largely in other, you know, well, it's, it's primarily in other places, hugely in the Middle East at the moment and around that kind of region. This isn't, those Christians aren't being persecuted because their Bible's a bit culturally irrelevant and they kind of haven't just kind of brought it, brought it up to date because of the lifestyles that are going on around them. Those uh, Christians aren't being persecuted because they're seeking to get themselves into trouble or deliberately going out and causing trouble or being judgmental or critical of how other people are living their lives. It's not because they've been forcing their views on other people. These people haven't been out looking for trouble. As you know, hundreds of people uh, were, were killed in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday this year. Why? Because they turned up to church to worship Jesus. That's all they did. They turned up to church to worship Jesus. It happens because Jesus said it will happen for those who choose to follow him. And no one is excluded. Now, you know, we can say, I hope we do say regularly, praise the Lord, we don't live in nations like that where that kind of persecution happens. I hope we are supporting and praying for our brothers and sisters. Open Doors is a fantastic organization. The Bible tells us that we need to be mindful and pray for and support those of our family that are being persecuted. But we also, I hope, need to be really grateful that we don't live in a nation where we are persecuted like that and we can turn up and worship freely. We have the freedom of speech and all that kind of thing. It's not our reality. But the passage and that headline, the passage that we're looking at tonight and that headline should remind us to expect trouble now and again 
because of who we're following and the message of his life, the message that we're carrying. Whether it's in the form of a backlash, whether it's in the form of being insulted, whether it's in the form of being mocked or ridiculed, or whether it's in the form of being rejected. We live in the same world. And actually, I can see one or two in here, I know, who have stood for their faith in public places and have been ridiculed for doing so. Timmer and I were at a, a conference in Vienna about three or four weeks ago with Mike and Caroline and a few others. I know he shared uh, a bit of uh, a video snap from uh, one of the evening pe- meetings. It was amazing to see so many people uh, streaming to the front of this meeting, wanting to give their lives to Jesus and deciding to follow him for the first time. Absolutely amazing. But the reason those people were in this huge arena was that other uh, Christians in Vienna had been out on the streets uh, sharing faith and inviting these people to come to these evening meetings. And uh, we were sent out on one of the afternoons. And uh, while my uh, invitees weren't particularly interested, I did chat to one lady uh, on the pavement. In fact, she began a conversation with me. She wanted to talk about dogs. So we had a little conversation with dogs. And I was praying, Lord, how can I, you know, how can I turn this conversation around, into, uh, around to faith? How, you know, how can I get you into the conversation? And I noticed she was wearing a cross. So I asked her, you know, are you wearing a cross because you've got some kind of faith? And she was like, no, I wear it because, you know, I just like it as a piece of jewellery. And so I asked a couple of follow-up questions to faith. And then this really interesting thing happened. She looked at me, she turned 180 degrees on her heels, and she literally ran off and got on the bus behind her. As if, you know, somehow I had this kind of disease that she was suddenly going to be infected by. It was quite funny, and it was relatively harmless. But it is a reminder that not everybody wants to hear the truth about who Jesus is. They'd rather talk about dogs. You know, it's easier to talk about dogs than Jesus to many people. And if we're going to make sure that those around us who we want, you know, and who God has commissioned us to to be messengers to, people that we want to hear the good news, the people that we want to know about him, people that we want to share our faith with because they need to hear about it. Uh, you know, that they need to hear about his message of love and life and forgiveness and everything else. We need to be loving. Yes, we've been looking at that in this series. We need to be compassionate. Yes, we need to uh, be compassionate. We need to be kind. We need to be listening to the Spirit. We need to be ministering, offering to minister with power. But do you know what? We also need to be courageous. Because the thing that trouble does, or the prospect of trouble, the prospect of some kind of reaction as to, to what we're sharing, or you know, when faith is raised, you know, is designed to intimidate us, to make us shrink back, to make us take step back. And Jesus wants us to step up and to step forward and to share with confidence about who he is and the life that he offers those around us. But that requires us also to be equipped with courage. We need to be equipped with courage. Look, look back at the, the question, the Pharisees' question to him. Who are you? What could Jesus have done in that moment? He could have kept quiet, couldn't he? He could have said nothing. He could have kind of stepped back in that moment and just compromised by saying nothing. He could have watered down his message about who he was. He could have kept quiet because he knew that if he... If he if he was honest about who he was, it would mean he would end up on the cross. But in that moment, he chose courage over compromise. And we are all faced with moments frequently 
where we get the choice, will we be courageous and take a step into a conversation or take a step further in a conversation? Or will we take a step back and compromise? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm speaking to myself as I say this. Just because I'm, you know, the Bible's talking about this, we're talking about this this evening, I wouldn't want any of you to think I'm advocating that I have any more courage or I'm any more courageous than any of us in here. I don't, I'm not. I want more courage. But if we're going to live the lives that Jesus has called us to and be effective for his kingdom and for the sake of the people around us and those people that he died for, we need to walk in compassion and courage. Compassion and courage. And courage looks like, let's just kind of remind ourselves of this, courage looks like different things to different people, doesn't it? So for one person, being courageous might just be letting everyone in your work know that you're a Christian. Not by kind of going around and saying, hi, my name's Hills and I'm a Christian. But actually allowing people to know that's who you are when, it, when it's appropriate in a conversation. For some of us in here, that would, te- that would take courage. For others of us in here, we may have done that. And actually, what would require courage of us is to invite somebody to church or an event here or to um, talk to them about some of the things that we might uh, have have done as a result of our Christian faith during the week. That might be the next courageous step for some of us in here. For others of us, it might be initiating a conversation about faith or Jesus We might have invited them to something, but it might be taking the step of actually initiating a conversation. For others of us, we've done that. You know, that all happens within our comfort zone. And it might require courage to go another step further and to offer to pray for somebody when they let you know what's going on in their lives. Or you notice that, you know, they're walking with a limp or, you know, they talk about the fact they're going to the doctor next week or whatever it is. Maybe maybe for you, your next step of courage is to offer to step out and go, do you know what, can I pray for you? I'm a Christian and I believe that God wants to bless you, as Gareth said, and to pray for them. Maybe that is the thing that requires courage. Maybe it's going a bit further and being a bit more honest about what you believe because actually just offering to pray for people is in your comfort zone. You get the idea. You know, courage looks like different things for all of us. And it's what's, what's the next step that I can take in moving out and moving forward in courage? We have him. And we have his message, and he wants it out there. Okay, lastly, what can we do to grow in courage? Because I think actually most of us, if not all of us, if I put up, you know, if I said put up our hands, who wants more courage? I think we all want more courage. What can we do to grow in courage, to encourage that? Really simply, I want to say this evening, we just need to be more quick to lean into the power of God and the people of God. It's not rocket science. We don't need a kind of self-help manual. We don't need seven steps to more courage. We need the power of God and we need the people of God. And God has given us both. Listen to the prayer of the early church in Acts 4, verses 27 to 29. Herod, so this is the church praying. And they're saying, indeed, Herod and Pilate, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. This is, this is the people praying. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, not shut them up, but now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's what they're praying. 
And then a couple of verses later, in verse 31, it says they were filled, the people that were praying were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. It's the same spirit today. It's the same spirit today. The spirit who filled them with boldness, the spirit who made Jesus bold, is the spirit who makes us bold. And when we want more courage, all we have to do is to ask him to fill us again. Are we doing that? Not just so we can, you know, we don't need courage just so we can skydive or free climb or do the kind of stuff in the human realm that we think, you know, we need courage for, but courage to speak out about him and share our faith with other people. If we need courage, we just need to ask for it. But notice, they did this together. They weren't all in their own individual homes, praying on their own. They're together. Because God's designed us to need each other and to need the family of God. You know, the word to encourage literally means to put courage into somebody. So you need me to put courage into you. I need you to put courage into me. You need the person next to you to put courage into you. And they need you to put courage into them. They encouraged each other. We need each other. God's designed us to function as a family and we need each other. We've all seen, haven't we? We've all watched the David Attenborough programs. You know, the lions on their hunt. And we all feel sorry for that wildebeest or that deer that, you know, is kind of peeled away from the back of the pack and we just know that the lions are going to get him. God's designed us, as it were, to hunt as a pack, to move as a family, to need each other because we get courage, as it were, from each, from each other. Courage rises as we encourage each other. Who puts courage into you? Who are the people in your life that put courage into you? To live the life that you want to live, to live the life that God's called you to live, to be bold and to be brave in going out there and seeking to share your faith. Who are the people that God has put around you or who are the people that do that for you? And if you can't answer that question, may I politely suggest that you need to find some. You need to join a group. You need to join up with some other people in order to pray for each other and with each other so that you can step out uh, and be brave and courageous in the way that you live. John uh, Shedd said this. I don't know who he is, but he said this. You'll know what he said when I tell you. <laughs> he said this. A ship, in safe, a ship is safe in harbour, but that's not what ships are for. I really like that. A ship is safe in harbour, but that's not what ships are for. Do you know what? We could say the same about ourselves. We've not been built for a safe life, and Jesus hasn't called us to a safe life. But if we're not going to live a safe life, we're going to move out beyond the harbour, and we're going to kind of live in the way that we really actually long to, because the Holy Spirit stirs up those longings in us, we need courage. We need courage. So I want to encourage us again this evening. I, want, I believe that God wants to encourage us to, to aspire for more, to go after courage. Do you know the kingdom comes when, when God's people step out in courage? The kingdom comes when we step out in courage. And I believe that God wants to increase our levels of courage so that we're not the kind of people that step back because we're intimidated by trouble. We're not the kind of people that will let, let trouble stop us from doing what he's called us to do. So why don't we stand? And we're going to pray.
you might want to close your eyes to shut out the distractions around you. Just fix the eyes of your heart on our amazing Saviour, Jesus. The one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who is always honest with us. And the one who longs to lead us out of the harbour to where the adventure lies. So maybe you just want to, you know, with your eyes closed, you maybe just want to put your hand on your heart. And we just pray. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, pray, Jesus, that you would seal in each of us what it is that you've said to us this evening as we've been here, gathered together as as a body, as your family, as your children. Holy Spirit, would whatever you've planted in us this evening, whatever we've heard you whisper, whatever we have sensed from heaven for us this evening, I just ask that you'd seal that in our hearts right now and that it would not be snatched away, but it would bear fruit. Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd come now that you come in this moment that you'd come afresh with your wind and your fire and you'd enable us to know in this moment the nearness of the one who is for us Jesus, you said that you were sending us out like sheep among wolves. You were always honest. You're always honest. You don't pull the wool over our eyes. You tell us the truth. But it's because you know that we can handle the truth because we have you. And you've said that you're sending us out, that you send us out as sheep amongst wolves. But that's okay because you're with us and you're in us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment you would bring a fresh revelation of the presence of Jesus with us, in us. Just come and manifest your presence in a fresh way to us in this moment. Come, Lord. believe that the Lord wants to do a number of things this evening and if you're here and you just have something that you long for God to do in your life whether it's to to touch your body to touch your mind 
whether you're longing for some kind of word or direction, whatever it is that you're here with that you're longing for him to do, I want to encourage you to let someone pray for you um, in these moments that we have now. Don't leave here without letting someone pray for you. I believe specifically the Lord is encouraging us to do a couple of things. I believe there are some of us here, maybe one or two, maybe more, and actually he's encouraging you to answer the question again this evening, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to you? And I just believe that there are, there are one or two here and you know him as your friend, you know that he loves you, that you know that and you, you have a relationship with him but you haven't surrendered to him as Messiah, as Lord, as King. And I had a picture of a, of a, of a rope and a, and a kind of tug of war with Jesus. And I know it's ridiculous to think that we can have a tug of war with Jesus because he's, you know, he's the king of the universe. He's beyond strong. But I had this sense that he was gently trying to, you know, take something out of your hands because you need to let go of it. But he's not going to yank it. He's waiting for you to surrender that part of your life to him so that he can give you what he has for you. So if you're here this evening and you know that actually he's inviting you this evening to surrender to him as Lord, as King, or there's something, there's an area of your life he's, he's, he's wanting you to hand over and maybe you've been tussling with him over that in recent days or weeks, I want to encourage you to come forward and do that this evening. I believe that the Lord wants to give any of us that are here and longing for an upgrade of courage I believe he wants to do that I believe he wants to do what he did for the disciples for those of you that just know that you want more courage because you want to step out more for him you know come to the front and somebody will pray for you because I believe that the Lord wants to fill you with boldness and with his spirit again in a fresh way and it's not that you haven't had courage but maybe you're looking for an upgrade in courage you're wanting to step out more. You're wanting to go further, but you know you can't do it in your own strength. So just begin to make your way to the front. If, if we can have some people to come and pray down on my left-hand side, that would be fantastic. I had a picture uh, as we were worshipping of a butterfly with a, with a torn wing. And I believe there might be somebody here this evening and actually you're feeling, you are wounded. You are wounded and you're, you're, you're not able to fly. Your, um, your ability, as it were, in the spirit feels impaired because you're wounded. And I believe that God wants to begin to heal you this evening. If that's you, again, I want to encourage you to come down to the front so somebody can pray for you. If we could have some people to come down and pray. 